Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Amen. I, I believe God moves in a lingering church. That's a church that, well, here we go. I've got a schedule right here. It says these are the things that we're going to do. But I believe God's looking for a lingering church that'll tear up the schedule say all right God whatever you want to do I think proof of that Trinisha it was a couple of weeks ago when we lingered we didn't have there's no place on the schedule that says linger linger means to wait tarry is a word that we use in the church tarry means we wait on the Lord to move and it was in a tarrying moment that God filled Trinisha with the Holy Ghost refilled her with the Holy Ghost I believe it's in those tarrying moments Amen. So thank you all. Thank you for tarrying, being willing to tarry today. Amen. I want us to turn our Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 15. I do want to say a special thank you to Brother Josh and Sister Jess for their work. They had a Valentine's banquet here Friday night for the youth. And I heard all the reports that I heard were that it was awesome. And uh, looked like, saw some pictures that it was good time that the young people had amen so I'm thankful that our young people can come to a safe environment a wholesome environment and uh, amen have a good time have you know it's not a sin to have a good time amen some people act like it's a sin to smile amen it's not a sin it's a good thing with joy we draw waters from the wells of salvation amen second Kings chapter 15 I want us to begin at verse 32 in the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, begat, or began Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, to reign. 25 years old was he when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And Jotham did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done except for the high places were not removed. People sacrificed, they burn incense still in the high places. He built the high gate, the higher gate of the house of the Lord. Now the rest of these acts of Jotham and all that he did are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. Turn with me now to 2 Chronicles chapter 27. There are three books of history or three of the books of uh, that record the first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, that are books of that record the history of Israel. And many times they tell some of the same accounts, but maybe from a different perspective. And so Second Chronicles chapter 27 is the same story or the same historical facts, but with a little different detail little different perspective 
So 2 Chronicles chapter 27, beginning at verse 1, says this. Jotham was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah did. Howbeit, he entered not into the temple of the Lord. I'll just pause there for a moment. That sounds negative. What it's not saying, it's not saying that he didn't enter in the house of the Lord. He didn't do what Uzziah did. Uzziah entered into the temple and stepped out of the role of the king and tried to be the priest. There's only one in the scripture that is able to be the king and the priest, and that is Jesus Christ. And when Uzziah tried to put himself in both roles, he was smitten with leprosy. And so what it's saying here is that Jotham did not do that. He didn't try to be God. He didn't try to be Jesus, all right? He recognized, I'm the king, and I'll let the priest be the priest. So, continuing on. And the people did yet corruptly. He built the high gate of the house of the Lord, and on the wall of Ophel he built much. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah and in the forests. He built castles and towers. He fought also with the king of the Ammonites and prevailed against them. The children of Ammon gave him the same year a hundred talents of silver, 10,000 measures of wheat, 10,000 of barley. So much did the children of Ammon pay him, both the second year and the third. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, which was the other account that we read. He was 25 years old when he began to reign and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And Jotham slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. And Ahaz, his, Ahaz, his son, reigned in his stead. Amen. The Lord bless you. You could be seated. Last Sunday, I preached from Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, the parable of the kingdom of heaven being likened unto leaven. And in that parable, a woman hid or kneaded into three measures of meal, that leaven, and the Bible said that the whole was leavened. And when I preached last Sunday, I had no intention on that becoming a series. In fact, after I was finished preaching, I told my wife on the way home, I felt like it was definitely not my best job of preaching. Amen, I know it's the word of God, but as preachers, you know, obviously you can butcher the word or you can um, make it palatable to where people want to receive it. And uh, I, after I left last Sunday, I told my wife that was not my greatest job of delivering a sermon. But I felt the more that I went through the week, the more that I felt God speaking to me that this parable in Matthew chapter 13 is a key area of focus for the vision of this year, re, the, the people of God being resourced, amen, of ensuring that the kingdom of heaven is getting into every area of our lives so that the whole is raised. And so Wednesday night, I taught on needy prayers, K-N-E-A-D-Y, needy prayers. And I'm not gonna reteach it. If you'd like to listen, you can go to tv.livinghopemd.com and you can go on and listen to that again. I think there are principles that will help you ensure that your prayer life is not just one-dimensional, but that those prayers are working into every area of your life. This coming Wednesday, I'm gonna teach on Needing the word, again, K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G, needing the word. And I'm going to Wednesday night share practical instruction on how to have personal Bible study. But today I want to teach on needy worship. 
Amen. Needy worship. Everybody say, needy worship. Tell your neighbor, I want to be needy. Tell somebody else, I want to be a needy worshiper. I want to preach about the attributes of worship, the kind of worship that makes it into every area of our lives. Worship that is not just a two-hour time slot on a Sunday morning, but worship is so much more than what we've done here this morning. Worship is what Paul describes in Romans as he writes to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12, and he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That is worship. Worship is when you give every part of you to God and you say, God, do with it whatever you want to do. And Paul said, when we enter into that atmosphere of worship, we begin to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Listen, if our only encounter with worship is what we do for two hours on a Sunday, our world does not see the will of God being done. If that's all they see, that, that most of our world is not going to see what we do on Sunday morning. But when what we do on Sunday makes its way into Monday and Tuesday and we begin to present our bodies as living sacrifices, then we begin to prove not just to the body of Christ, but to the world. We prove to them what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And that is the true essence of worship. A life that is holy and acceptable unto God. We flipped it in, in modern theology and religion. We flipped it around. And, and we want, instead of us being acceptable to God, we, we want a God that we can accept. I want a God that's okay with alternative lifestyles. I'm watching as the cancel culture is, is making its voice loud and I'm watching preachers that were once strong preachers that are now backtracking and, and, and saying, you know what, we don't preach against homosexuality. We, we, I, I in fact, a well-known preacher whose books I've read many of this last week stood in the platform, stood in the pulpit, and apologized for preaching against the sin of homosexuality. And that's not going to happen in this pulpit. Now, I'm not going to pick on homosexuality. I'm going to preach on adultery and fornication and lying and stealing and cheating. They're all sin, but we're not going to backtrack in this hour. I don't want a God that's acceptable to me. I want to be acceptable to God. That is your reasonable service. I'm not here to appease a cancel culture. I'm not in the pulpit trying to get more woke. That's not my job today. My job is not to be woke. My job is to be anointed. My job is to preach to you the whole counsel of the Word of God. <laughs> Lifting hands while the praise team sings is, is part, it is part of the process. What we've done here today and what we will do, it's part of it. But if that's your entire expression of worship, you are needy, not K-N, you are N-E-E-D-Y. Because why? Because the whole will never rise. You will never see, as Brother Eric said today, I like the word he used, flourishing. Tell your neighbor, I am flourishing. That, that's what the parable in Matthew 13 was talking about. When that woman got the leaven into the whole loaf, 
she began to flourish. Every area of her life began to flourish. Amen. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And when we get worship out of just a Sunday morning time slot and we get into every area of our life, the result is we begin to flourish. And so I begin with our text in 2 Kings chapter 15 in an investigation of the legacy of Jotham, the 10th king of the kingdom of Judah, Kingdom of Judah comprised of the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. So in other words, Jotham was the king over the kingdom and the tribe of Judah. If I could remind you, it is out of the tribe of Judah that would come the king of kings, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the righteous scepter that would not depart from the tribe of Judah the root and the offspring of David, the branch that came from the root of Jesse, the lily of the valley, the bright and the morning star, the wheel in the middle of the wheel, uh, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace, uh, and his name is Jesus. Jotham was the king over the kingdom and the tribe that Jesus would come out of. Tenth king of the tribe of Judah. The legacy of this this tenth king of Judah, the son of righteous king Uzziah, is proclaimed in two phrases that are found in the historic accounts that we read in 2 Kings chapter 15 and 2 Chronicles chapter 27. The first of the commendations accredited to Jotham is found in 2 Kings 15 verse 34 when it says this, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. That's worship. That should be all of our goal today, to do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Amen. We think, man, if I get on the praise team, then I'll be a great worshiper. No, when you do that which is right in the sight of the Lord, you're a great worshiper. You don't even have to sing on key to be a great worshiper. You don't have to dance on beat to be a great worshiper. You don't even have to clap on beat to be a great worshiper. All you got to do to be a great worshiper is make up in your mind that I will do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And the second commendation that is given to him is in 2 Chronicles chapter 27, verse 6, when it says, So Jotham became mighty. Went on and said, because he prepared his ways before the Lord. And I believe these two verses that would form a righteous eulogy would be the envy of any child of God. At the end of my life, if it could be said of me those three things, that Jason did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. So Jason became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord. I would be able to say, I lived a great life. I accomplished everything that I was meant to accomplish. Three things. He did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. He became a mighty man, and he prepared his ways before the Lord. I believe these three statements can be put together, and they speak of a trajectory and a process that was employed by the life of the 10th king of Judah. First of all, that Jotham became a mighty man. That's great. But why did Jotham become a mighty man? Because he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. But the foundation that allowed him to do that which is right in the sight of the Lord is because he prepared his way before the Lord. The Hebrew word that is used there, which would translate to our, word, our English word prepared, 
that, that word literally would be translated as to intend to move to a certain goal or he planned. And this is the first attribute of a needy worshiper. They prepare their way before the Lord. They wake up in the morning with the intention that I am going to please God today. The first thing they do when they wake up in the morning is they pray, God, let your word be a lamp unto my feet and let it be a light unto my path. Because, Lord, if I don't do anything else today, I've got to please you. They, in, they intend to do right before the Lord. They have a plan for living a godly lifestyle. I know that there are certain diets that, that we go on, right? Paleo diet and what, I don't know, some of the diets you all do. I don't do diets. Keto, right? Keto, Taekwondo. No, that's not a diet, is it? What are some of the other diets? They had the South Beach diet and maybe a North Beach diet. I told you I don't do Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers for me is when I stand on the scale and let's look down. That's the Weight Watcher. But I, I know this, that they say if you're going to, one of the keys to being successful is you have to prepare for that. If you're going to reach that, you've got you to go, go through your cupboard and get rid of the Oreos. Your or not mine, Yours. When my family, the, all my the ladies in my, my house, they'll start going on these diets. I'm like, where'd the good stuff go? Right? We got coconut milk and oat milk and all kinds of crazy. Where's the whole milk? But if you're going to be successful, you have to prepare for that, right? You go shopping and you get the, the kale. and <laughs> Even saying that, I feel my jaw starting to tighten up. Right? You get all the yucky stuff, and you get it because I'm going to lose weight now. I'm going to be miserable, but I'm going to lose weight. And, and even they say that if you really want to get down to the, the, the science of success in reaching your goal, that you need to prepare your meals for the next day, the day before. That's really how you succeed. And that's what Jotham did. Jotham said, I'm going to prepare my way. I'm going to have a plan. When, when I get to the end of this life, they're going to be able to say one thing about me, and that is that I did right in the sight of the Lord. So before I go to bed at night, I'm going to pray, God, tomorrow, if I don't do anything else, I'm going to please you. Lord, when I start my day, if I don't do anything else, I'm going to live right. I may not win a million dollars. They may not get a raise. I, I may not get a promotion. But if I don't get anything else, I will be able to say that I please the Lord. Jotham did that which was right in the sight of the Lord because he planned on it. And I know so many that think they're accidentally going to please the Lord. Well, you know, my boyfriend moved up, moved in with me, but, but we're, we don't, we're not going to do that, you know. Whatever. You know, my girlfriend moved in, but it's because she couldn't find another place to stay. But, but you know, we're still going to please the Lord. You ain't planning on pleasing the Lord. That pre I feel like I just got transplanted to a different church. Y'all still with me? If you want to please the Lord, you've got to plan on it. If you want to please the Lord, you've got to have a made-up mind that I'm going to please. The, you're not accidentally going to please him. 
Jotham said, I'm making it my goal that if at the end of this day I don't get anything else right, one thing I will, I'm going to do like David, one thing have I desired. You are not going to accidentally do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. You aren't going to stumble into being a mighty man of God. Jotham did not stumble into being mighty. He became mighty because every morning when he woke up, he said, I'm going to please God. Every night before he went to bed, he said, tomorrow when the sun rises, I'm going to please the Lord. I wish I had a church that still believed in good preaching. Still believed in strong preaching. Come on, Lord. Don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I need to hear. Worship isn't just waving your hand on Sunday. It's having a plan on Monday that I will please the Lord. I I am not what you would call a sailor. I'm not a waterman. But I've been on the boat enough times to know That you're going to end up where you point your bow. Where you point the bow of the boat is where you're going to end up. As long as you keep pointing in that direction, you're not accidentally going to end up somewhere. You're going to go where you tell the boat to take you. And so it is, amen, that the Bible also has some things to say about those who who are not right in the sight of the Lord. Listen, Listen to some passages. Psalms 36 and 4 says of the wicked man. Listen, he deviseth mischief upon his bed. Hmm. Laying there at night. Hmm. How can I? How can I? I'll let you fill in the eye. How can I? How can can I? Anyway, I don't even want to go down that path. How can I? He, He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not. He doesn't hate evil. The wicked man setteth himself in a way that is not good. Jotham set himself in a way that is good, but the wicked man. Proverbs 24 and 8. He that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. Amen. I know so many people today, they don't like their reputation, but they didn't mind all the choices that got them that reputation. Why does everybody call me mischievous? Because you kept devising to do evil, that's why. You kept planning to do evil, and now you don't, you don't like the clothes you're wearing, but you're the one that went to the store and picked them out. Your reputation is the sum of your intentions. Am I being, you guys are like, I'm, my, my daughters would say I'm being sassy. I'm not trying to be sassy. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to tell you all what the word says right now. Your reputation is the sum of your intention. I become what I plan on becoming. If I lay on my bed at night devising plans of how I can make people fall and how I can seduce and how I can destroy, then guess what? I'm going to end up being known as a mischievous person. I end up because of what I planned on being. Micah 2 and 1, woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, he's saying they're thinking about it while they're asleep or in bed at night before they sleep. Ah, I'm thinking about tomorrow, how I'm going to get that coworker out of the way so I can get the pay that, that they deserve. 
I'm thinking about a way that I can manipulate my boss. And I, I've got some blackmail on my boss that I'm going to use to make sure. I, that's, what, that's what the evil do. On their bed at night, they're thinking of ways that they can seduce. They're thinking of ways that they can destroy. And the Bible says when the sun comes up, they practice it because they've got the ability to do it. That is the wicked man. And that's not worship. But worship is before you go to bed at night, you say, God, help me, Lord. If I know that my brother has a fault in his life, I'm not going to use that as blackmail to get ahead of them. I'm going to pray for them that God would strengthen them. Lord, I'm asking you before I go to bed tonight, give me the strength to be godly in all of my ways. Help me not to be seductive, Lord, but help me to be a strength to those around me. Jotham became mighty because he did right in the sight of the Lord. And he did right in the sight of the Lord because he made it his plan. The second attribute of a needy worshiper, as revealed in the life of Jotham, is found in 2 Chronicles, in the portion that we read, verses 3 and 4, which says, he built, everybody say, he built the high gate of the house of the Lord. And he built, everybody say, he built on the wall of Ophel, he built much. Moreover, he built, everybody say he built. He built cities in the mountains of Judah and in the forest he built. Everybody say he built. Castles and towers. The second attribute of a needy worshiper is that they are builders, amen. Amen, a worshiper, a true worshiper is somebody who is building. We live in a world today that it seems so much prone around us. People are prone to tearing down more than they are building up. Even in the church, we've got Holy Ghost appointed demolition men. I don't wanna see you getting too blessed now. You might get pride. You, you might have some pride enter in if you get too blessed. I don't want you getting too spiritual. I think you're getting too big for your britches, so I'm the demolition man. I brought the sledgehammer with me. I think it's time that you got brought down a few rungs. And we've got Holy Ghost appointed demolition men that make sure if you start feeling good about yourself, I'm here to help you out. You start feeling good about the church. Man, I'm so glad to be a Oh, you don't know about this man. You just like the church because you don't know. If you knew what I know, I mean, if you knew, there's some things about the pastor, man. He's made some decisions. Let me tell you about some of the decisions he's made. They bring the sledgehammer. I don't want you feeling too good about the church. Good old Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> Heavy, oh, big, I mean, what a crazy-looking fellow. Big old obscene, monstrous hands. Wreck-It Ralph comes to church. We need more Bob the Builders in the kingdom and we need less Wreck-It Ralphs. Come on, somebody. I'm, we've got people that come to church like a Wreck-It Ralph trying to tear down the atmosphere and destroy what God is doing. We need some Bob the Builders to walk in here with their tool belt on and say, I came to build somebody up. I came to build up the kingdom of God. I came to encourage somebody. I don't know about you, but I brought my tool belt with me today. I brought some encouragement, and I brought some strength, and I brought a word of confirmation, and I brought a word that would build you up. 
in the world of construction, there is both demolition and there is construction. There's building. And, and demolition is a very planned activity. Right? You don't just go in swinging sledgehammers. If you do that, you knock the wrong wall down at the wrong time, you're going down with the building. That's a true statement. You don't just go in and start swinging sledgehammers and blowing stuff up. It is a, it is a strategic work. It's a strategic act. Both builders and demolition people, both Wreck-It Ralph and Bop the Builder, both of them study blueprints. If you're tearing something down or you're building something up, both of them are looking at the blueprints. They're looking at how this thing is designed. But the builder studies the blueprint, imagining what can be. The, the, the builder looks at the blueprint and says, here's what I see can be in the future. If I just add a little bit here and I'll reinforce a little bit there, I see the great things that can be. But Wrecking Ralph walks in and looks at the same blueprint and he says, there's a weakness right there. And right there, if I hit him right there, I'll destroy them. Listen, you're either going to look to build somebody up or you're going to look to tear them down. With just one word, I can take all the life out of them. If you're going to become mighty in the kingdom of God, you have got to get a Bob the Builder mindset. Every time you come to church, you either show up as Wreck-It Ralph or Bob the Builder. Amen. You're either Ralph or Bob. Oh, Wreck-It Ralph walks in with a critical eye. Well, they were out of tune, and it's a little too loud, and it's 65. I need it to be 67. And you know the pastor, I don't really like that pinstripe suit. It makes his bald head really stick out. I don't like this, that, and the other. And by the way, I didn't get my favorite parking spot, and sister. Mary sitting in my seat and Wrecking Ralph walks in and before you know it God can't even move Bob the builder walks in and says I brought my belt with me Ralph you might need it anyway sorry a different, different belt I brought my belt with me, and you know what? If the worship's lagging a little bit, I'm just going to add a little bit of worship. Amen? If it seems like the pastor's struggling a little bit, I'm going to be the strength. I'm going to help him preach. If it feels like things are a little bit low, I'm going to lift it up. I made up my mind. I'm not going to be a Ralph. I'm going to be a Bob. Ralph and Bob. Bob comes with a building outlook, looking for ways. How can I help create an atmosphere? How can I help create an atmosphere where God can move? How can I create an atmosphere where people leave feeling better than when they leave than they did when they got there? Every time we enter into a conversation, we're either a Ralph or a Bob. Ralph brings a sledgehammer. Just listening for any word or phrase that you might use that could be taken offensively. I know what you meant. Okay, Ralph, put your hands away. Ain't no pockets big enough for them hands. Just hide them behind your back. Ralph opens his mouth and speaks with lips of poison and a tongue like a dagger. But Bob just brings his measuring tape. He listens with compassion. He listens with empathy and consideration. He's not looking to catch you in a fault. He's looking to give you the benefit of the doubt. He's speaking carefully. He's measuring twice and cutting once. He's thinking about what he says before he says it. And then when he does, he's using wisdom and encouragement. We need builders. Hey, I don't want you to be less blessed. I want you to be more blessed. 
I don't want to be wrecking Ralph. And when you start getting blessed, I walk up and say, you know what? I think you're starting to get too big for your britches. I pray God will just give you bigger britches. Sorry, Josh. Josh, this is not the way, all right? We met earlier this week, and I gave him some pointers on, you know, preaching better. Don't do what I'm doing today, okay? I want you to be blessed. I don't want envy. Wreck-It Ralph walks in with envy. And if you got a new car, I'm going to talk. I'm going to question how you got it. I'm going to talk it down until you feel bad about driving your new car. Why? Because I didn't get one. Why not just be a Bob the Builder and say, hey, God, keep on blessing my neighbor. Because if you keep on blessing them, sooner or later, it's going to get to me. Somebody help me build the atmosphere in this house right now. A needy worshiper is a builder. Hey, Lord, lift my neighbor up. God, encourage my sister. Encourage my brother. Lord, give him a breakthrough today. I want to say, pause right now. We're glad to have brother and sister May here. That's Sister Kim Bell's parents. We're glad to have them here. And, And I know I didn't ask Coach Bell, and he's quite a bit bigger and stronger than me, so if he's mad at me and you see me running after church, that's why. But I know they just, God blessed them and they built a beautiful new home. And I wanna say, I'm, I'm thankful for you. I'm glad that you all, I pray God will give you, in, in a few years you can move into one twice as big. I pray God keeps on blessing you. I didn't come with a sledgehammer, I came today to build came today to encourage you in the Lord. I came to strengthen you today in the Lord. Building is an attribute of a needy worshiper. We come into the church looking, how can we build the atmosphere? The final attribute of a needy worshiper that I would bring out concerning the mighty man that Jotham became in all of the engineering and building of Jotham, there was one fabrication and one design that stands out among the rest. I'm sure that the cities that are spoken of in Chronicles that Jotham constructed in the mountains, I'm sure that those cities were incredible. I'm sure that the castles and the the towers that he crafted in the forest were extravagant. But the one design that I can't help but recognize above all the others in the portfolio of progress is documented in both 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. It's the only thing that Jotham built that both of the accounts of history talk about. It simply says this, Jotham built the high gate of the house of the Lord. The Bible knowledge commentary tells us that Jotham built the high gate to encourage the worship of Jehovah. Amen. Jotham had his Bob the Builder belt on and he said, you know what? If there's one thing that we need more of around here, we need more access into the presence of God. We need more power of God. We need a new way to get into the presence of God. Now, if you study the Old Testament temple that was there, Solomon's temple, they had probably up to eight different gates already existing. But Jotham said, I'm never satisfied with what I've got. I want more. I'm never satisfied with yesterday's Holy Ghost. I want more. I want more of God. I want more of his presence. And needy worshipers recognize that we need more access to the presence of God, not less. 
It was the crowning jewel of Jotham's architecture. Both of the accounts of history speak and say Jotham built the high gate. There's already eight ways in. Jotham, why do you need another one? There's already, you've already got doors back there. Why are you going to prop those open too? Jotham said, because I don't want anybody to come to a place where they can't access the presence of God. I know there's already doors that will get you there, but I need to add one more because I don't want anybody. I don't want anybody to show up on Sunday and say I couldn't find my way in to the presence of God. I don't want any of my coworkers to work with me for five, six, seven years and not be able to say I was able to feel the presence of God. And so Jotham built the high gate. More important than kings, more important than cities, castles, and towers was the additional gate that Jotham added to the temple. Needy worshipers understand the most important thing you will ever build in your life. It's not your 401k. It's not that nest egg for retirement. I didn't say it wasn't important, but it's not the most important. Nobody said amen. My wife said right because she knows ours is much better. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's how my husband thinks. It's not. It's not your nest egg. If you've got two million in a nest egg right now, God bless you. But if you're not living a life that is pleasing unto the Lord, your two million dollars is worthless. The most important thing that you will build in your life is not a portfolio of investments. I'm diversified. I've got... You know, a couple hundred thousand here, a little bit there. I speak more. I got five over here and ten over there. But, you know, I'll, just, I'll use the, the thousands factor for those of you in the building. Amen. The most important thing you will build in your life is not a healthy, robust resume. The most important thing you will build in your life is not a great legacy. No, the most important thing that you can ever build in your life is access into the presence of God. Dad, the greatest thing you can build for your children is not a bigger house. It's showing them how to get into the presence of God. I'm speaking to somebody in this building today. The enemy is lying to you and telling you the greatest thing you can build is a robust resume that will bring you hundreds of thousands of dollars, but you don't even know how to lift your hands on Sunday. I don't know about you today, but I came to build another gate. I came today to the house of God to build one more gate. Brooke, I want you to know if you don't learn anything else from your daddy, I want you to at least know here's how you get into the presence of God. It's the most important thing you can build. Trey, Jay is watching you. Josiah is watching you. Kier is watching you. And the most important, I know you're a very wise man, wise with finances and got a great job. And I'm not here to put you on the spot right now so everybody knows, hey, if you need money, that's the guy to ask. That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> but I, I know you've got some things together. And you're being a good example in those areas. But the greatest thing you can build for your children is not wealth. It's not financial security. The greatest thing you can build for Michelle is not financial security. Another promotion on your job, the greatest thing you can build is on Sunday when you walk in here and you lift up holy hands before God and you build a high gate and you say to your family, this is how we, this is how we get in the presence of God. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I get in the presence of God. 
The enduring word commentary tells us that the high gate or the upper gate that Jotham built created access. It was a link between the palace and the temple. All of the other gates, there was really no pathway into the temple from the palace. Jotham said, you know what, I'm not just a king that tells everybody else what to do. I've got to worship for myself. I can't just tell everybody else that we're going to worship God and then I've got no access for myself. But he said, I've got to have me a way to get in the house of God. Jotham did not become mighty because he commanded everybody else in the kingdom to worship God. Jotham became mighty because he said, if nobody else shows up on this Sunday to worship God, I'm going to dance my dance. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to lift my voice. I'm going to give God praise. I'm going to live right on Monday. I'm going to walk right on Tuesday. I wish somebody build you a high gate right now. I wish somebody let the devil know you're not going to destroy my worship. Jotham became mighty because he turned walls into gates. He didn't let a palace preclude him from worship. Well, I used to be a worshiper, but now, you know, I, I'm an executive on my job. And executives, we don't act like that. We, we keep the top button buttoned. We're dignified. I used to worship like that. You know, when I first came and I was a drug addict and alcoholic, and, and man, I was crazy. I was a fanatic. I would do something, but, but man, I, I've got my act together now. So I just kind of, you know. Uh, no, my wife said no, so that's the end of that. And, we, and over time, but Jotham, Jotham said, my palace does not preclude me from praise. My palace, my position, my elevation does not preclude me from being a worshiper. I don't care how rich I get. I don't care how famous I get. I don't care how much people look to me as an example. I'm still going to be in the house of God. I'm still going to be a worshiper. I'm still going to be living on a way that pleases God. You need to make it up in your mind right now. I've got to punch a hole in the wall, and I've got to build me a gate. For all the might of Jotham, the incredible legacy that he left, the worship that was lifted by Jotham, he was right there. But Alberti, he was on the threshold, he was on the cusp of ensuring that the kingdom of heaven was combined in every area of his life. I mean, he did it, he prepared his way. He started every day with a plan to do right in the sight of the Lord. That's a great feet. He was a builder who built up the kingdom of God. He increased the access into the presence of God. All of those are attributes of needy worshipers. So if you didn't get all the in-between stuff that I said, those three attributes are the attributes of a needy worshiper. Prepare your way. Have a plan to be pleasing for the Lord. Again, not just Sunday between 11 and 1. Every day. When I'm on my bed at night, I'm not Devising mischief, mischief. I'm not, I'm not, anyway, I'm my own worst enemy today. I'm not, I'm not doing that. On my bed at night, I'm considering, God, how can I be a light in my world? How can I bring glory to you? How can I prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God in my life? 
Build up. Be a Bob, not a Ralph. That's the second attribute of a needy worshiper. We're building. We're building. We're building. Junior, my, my goal today is to build you. I want you to be more confident in your calling. Every time we have a conversation, I want you to leave that conversation feeling more qualified than you did before we started talking, not less. And thirdly, you have to increase your access to the presence of God. Build more gates. Amen? My, my goal should be the next year, this coming year, I want to be a better, I want to be more of a worshiper than I was last year. But there was one portion that shows that Jotham precluded worship. The leaven didn't get into all the lump. There was one area that Jotham precluded worship from being absolute in his reign as the king of Judah. And it says in 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 35, how be it, or in spite of all the good things that Jotham built, in spite of the fact that he prepared his way, that he started every day by asking himself, what can I do to please the Lord? In spite of the fact that he built the kingdom of God up in spite of the fact that he built the high gate and increased access into the presence of God. How be it, in spite of all of that, the high places were not removed. People sacrificed and burnt incense still in the high places. In spite of his intention and his plan to do right before the Lord, in spite of his building, in spite of increased access he made to the presence of God, there was one thing that Jotham did not do that must be done to ensure that the leaven gets into the whole lump, that the kingdom of heaven gets into every area of our life. You must remove the high places. High places were places of idolatry. A place that wormed its way into the heart of both Judah and Israel many generations prior as they built images and constructed groves to offer worship unto idols and other gods. You see, Jotham increased opportunity to worship God. He made sure he had a connection with the presence of God. But worship is not just about making sure that you have access to God. It's not just about increasing our access to the presence of God. But it is also the first commandment that you shall have no other gods before me. Build all the gates that you want, but your gates are pointless if you don't tear down the high places. Building high gates will not replace tearing down high places. You can give God your best on Sunday, but if you still got idols on Monday, it means nothing. Building high places doesn't matter if you're not willing. Building high gates does not matter if you're not willing to tear down high places. Jotham, what, what if you would have ensured that worship got into every area of your life? What, 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 what would if you would have ensured that worship saturated if, it had, if you would have just ensured that it saturated Judah, if you would have tear, tore down those high places, but, but Jotham, it's not, about, oh, it's not all about what you add. And I know some of you have watched God add things into your life. I've watched you make Sunday church attendance. And, and Eric, again, great job this morning. I've watched some of you as, you as you have become not church attenders, but you've become the church. And I'm grateful for the things that you have added to your life. But what makes you a true worshiper? What ensures that every Everything 
life begins to rise, it's not just the high gates that you build, but it's also the high places that you tear down. God, there are things in my life that I know are not right before you. You must, if you're going to be a needy worshiper, you must get rid of the high places. Now, I'm sure Jotham could offer some great excuses. They're not my high places. I didn't build them. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 14 tells us 10 kings before Jotham, the very first king of Judah by the name of Rehoboam. The Bible tells us Rehoboam built high places. He could point back 10 generations and say, this isn't my gate. These aren't my high places. These aren't my groves. I didn't, I didn't carve those idols. I didn't, this isn't the work of my hand. It's not my responsibility. And some of you are dealing with things that have been handed down to you generation after generation after generation. And you come and you give God your best. But then you walk back out to your high places and you worship gods that are not holy. And you worship gods that are not pure. And you worship gods that are not righteous. I'm telling you today, if you really want want to be a needy worshiper, you're going to have to tear down the high places. I don't care if it was my daddy or my daddy's daddy or my daddy's daddy's daddy. I don't care how many generations long I've been dealing with. It's time for the high place to come down. It's just in my DNA, Pastor. Dad was an alcoholic. His dad was an alcoholic. His dad's 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 dad was an alcoholic. It's just it's who I am. I mean, I'm doing better than I was, Pastor. At least give me credit for that. I still come to church on Sunday. The Bible says Uzziah, Jotham's father, did right in the sight of the Lord, but he didn't remove the high places. And Amaziah, Jotham's grandfather, did that which right. Howbeit, the high places were not taken away. And his great-grandfather, Joash, the Bible says he did right in the sight of the Lord, but the high places were not taken away. It was generational. See, church became tradition. They, they got good at building things. They got good at doing right in the sight of the Lord, but they never dealt with the high places. Uh, they never pointed to those things in their lives and said, God, this has got to come down. Uh, if this leaven is going to get into the whole lump, uh, if I'm really going to be transformed, uh, if, every, if my family is going to be lifted, uh, if my marriage is going to be lifted, I've got to get rid of some high places. Uh, it's not enough to build high gates. Uh, I've got to also tear down some high places. handed down to me pastor can't do anything about it it's in my DNA that's a lie from the devil some of you are going to go to hell listen to the lie of the devil holding on to sin because the devil told you there's nothing you could do about it the devil convincing you that if you just perfect your Sunday dance instead of listening to country and western on Monday you listen to gospel that you're good to go Meanwhile, you've got sin that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. You point back up the line and say, can't do anything about it. It's in my DNA. That's a lie. 
When you were adopted by Jesus Christ, when you received the spirit of adoption whereby you cry, Abba, Father, you got a blood transfusion. Your DNA is no longer your daddy's DNA, your grandpa's DNA. You've got God's DNA in your body. You can overcome. You can tear down those high places. I'm not blaming this on Uzziah. I'm not blaming this on great-grandpa. This is my battle. I'm going to keep on building high gates, uh, but I'm also going to start tearing down high places. Stand with me. You see, it's easier to build high gates than it is to tear down high places. It's easier to ensure that we have access to the presence of God than it is to deny access to the things of this world. Finally, in 2 Kings chapter 18, a king by the name of Hezekiah comes along. Just two kings later, the 12th king of Judah. And the Bible says this about Hezekiah. It could have been, should have been Jotham that the Bible says this about. Because if you compare their resume, Jotham did a whole lot more good. But the Bible says of Hezekiah that Hezekiah was greater than any king before him or any king after him. Of all the kings of Judah, the king that was the greatest was Hezekiah. And the Bible says this. It says in, in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 3, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David did. Jotham did that too. But it goes on and says he removed the high places. He broke down the images. Somebody in this building today, you're on the cusp of being a needy worshiper. You're, you're almost there. You come in with your tool belt and you help build up the kingdom of God. Uh, hey man, you build the high gates. Uh, it's incredible the way that you're giving God greater access into your life. But there's one component that we've got to get. Uh, there's one more thing that's keeping us from elevating the way that we need to. You need to come down to this altar right now uh, and say, God, I'm bringing down the high places. Uh, I'm bringing down those places in my life uh, that I've exalted. Lord, generations have passed them down to me. Come on. Come on, let that leaven get into the whole lump. Let that kingdom of heaven get into every area of your life, not, not just your Sunday 10 to 1 o'clock experience where you raise your hands, but then you go back to sins that have been passed down from dad and grandpa and great-grandpa, and you're still struggling with spirits that are afflicting you. It's time to tear the devil's kingdom down. It's time to tear those high places down. It's time to declare, I'm not just going to build the high gate, but I'm going to tear the high place down. Anybody that would come to this altar right now while the Holy Ghost is drawing the Holy Ghost the Spirit of God is here today to build you up the Spirit of God today is here to to encourage you and strengthen you to give you the strength that you need but God is looking through this building right now and he's saying I don't need you to build another gate I need you to remove a high place an entrenched way of thinking might be bitterness toward a brother or a sister. It might be unforgiveness that you've been holding on to. Come on, Jotham. So raise our hands all across this room right now. 
Oh, we're blessed with a great church. For the most part, every one of you comes Sunday after Sunday with your tool belts on and you build an incredible atmosphere. I thank you for that. I thank you for that. I thank you for your sincerity and worship. But there's something God wants to take you to another dimension. God wants to take you to another level. And it's not going to be based on what you build. It's going to be based on what you tear down. Come on. You can decide today, will I be a Jotham or will I be Hezekiah? Will I just keep God in, in those certain areas of my life? Or will I give him access to every part of me? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. You present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I'm asking somebody right now to surrender every area of your life. I'm asking you as this praise team sings it, I'm asking you to reach into those places in your life and bring those groves down, bring those high places down, things that you've excused because they were handed down to you, things that you've excused because they're a result of what somebody did to you. Come on, we're going to tear the devil's kingdom down right now in this place. God is about to open up the door. God, the kingdom of heaven is about to get loosed. The kingdom of heaven is going to get loosed in some areas of your life that you have not allowed it to because you've segmented that part of you and you've not given God full access. Come on, somebody in this house. A broken spirit and a contrite heart he will not despise. In the name of Jesus, to worship you I live, Lord. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.